Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is at Chip Wagon Blaster, another pleb on Twitter that uh, turned up in my DMs and asked if he would be able to come on the show. The reason being, he's got a very, very cool project coming up. I'm not going to give any spoilers. Just get into the show and all will become apparent. But it's very cool. I look very forward to seeing this project take shape and what we might be looking at in a year or 18 months time that's just a little hint before we get into the show you guys know i'm a big fan of bitcoin only companies you guys know i want you to dca i keep screwing that up fca fiat cost average into bitcoin do this slowly and steadily, especially if you're new to the space. Don't go crazy and putting loads of money in. Start slowly. And you can do that by fiat cost averaging, small, regular buys of your fiat of choice. So if it's uh, sterling, you can go to coinfloor.co.uk, use forward slash bitten to start stacking your sats with Coinfloor, a Bitcoin only exchange. If it is US dollars and you're based in the US or maybe soon Europe, keep an eye out on swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will unlock a free 10 bucks and save you on commissions. I think these guys are always updating their um, their little gifts and um, goodies. And new sponsor to the show. Thank you so much to relay.ch forward slash bitten or use the code bitten. That's Europe. We have you covered with Relay, Bitcoin only, all of these companies. Enjoy the episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Right. Okay. Corey, great to see you. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. hang on. Am I using Corey or Chip Wagon Blaster? <laughs> uh, we'll go. We'll go with Corey now. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're looking for my pseudo, uh, my my pseudonym on Twitter, it's Chip Wagon Blaster. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not one for putting myself on uh, on the internet, uh, and so yeah, that's uh, Chip Wagon Blaster is is one of my many user uh, usernames. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Lauren is uh, is here to to ask the first question. Okay. So my question is, um, why did you reach out to my dad? Um, so I reached out to your dad because uh, I've been listening to him, but uh, I'm starting uh, at the early stages of a documentary because um, that's what I do in my uh, you know day job is uh, is make movies and um, TV shows and stuff like that and uh, work with streaming platforms and we created our own streaming platform that's in its infancy and um, so I had this documentary that I wanted to create called Searching for Satoshi. Um, and the idea behind it was, a, to, you know, the alluring narrative of who is Satoshi. Um, and, and so whenever I was beginning to plan 
I uh, started reaching out to people to see who would want to be interviewed for the documentary. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the podcast hosts, I think will be a lot of the best, uh, the best uh, people to do an interview because they're so used to it and, um, and approachable and everything. And also because, you know, a lot of people, there's people that are in the Bitcoin space, but they really research it, you know, inside and out. Um, uh, so yeah, so I it reached out to your dad um, and, you know, we were talking about that and he said, you know, absolutely. I'd come on and, you know, do the, do the uh, interview for the documentary. And, and then I said, well, Hey, I'm also kicking around the idea of doing a podcast. Um, really the podcast is for my own learning. Um, and, you know, so I kind of had to ask him questions because I come from a completely different world than finance and Bitcoin and podcasts, <laughs> podcasts, even, you know, I've, I've been a part of podcasts. I've seen them done, you know, entertainment, people are starting to get into them, but, but it's still in my world, like very structured to like radio interviews and getting on, you know, local like airwaves and stuff like that. So to do a podcast, even, you know, after we stopped, after we talked about the documentary, I said, well, what's, um, I said, how do you do a podcast? What kind of microphone do you need? You know, do you need a recording studio? What do you, in my mind, I was ready to go into like our recording studio set up with like the soundproof walls. And yeah, so your, your dad helped me understand that it didn't need to be as professional as I thought it needed to be. Um, and yeah, so hopefully uh, maybe you could interview you for the documentary too, since you, you seem to know a lot about Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I don't know as much about Bitcoin. But you know uh, a lot more than like most 10-year-olds would. So that's, mm. that's a good start. And also, I heard you guys on the one podcast talking to Bitcoin Beach. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's how you guys could get into it too, is because you said you wanted to travel there. And that's mm -hmm. something that I think would be a really cool angle um, to part of the narrative, um, you know, establishing, showing how it can operate an economy. Um, so, and also selfishly for me, I just want to go to El Salvador. Um, so if I build that into the movie and then all of a sudden it's part of the budget, then I guess I have to go. And, you know, my wife, I'll have to twist her arm to, you know, go down to a nice climate and, and uh, you know, spend a week or two in, in a beautiful beach. Eating amazing tacos and using Bitcoin to buy them with. And also going to the pool. And to the pool and yes. to the beach and in the ocean and learning oh, to surf. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I would love to move there. The problem is just moving everyone there and, and uprooting your life. But you guys are used to that. So, <laughs> yeah, we have, we've got some previous with that. Yeah, that, that's for sure. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, the rest is yours. Okay, well, thank you. Say goodnight. See you. Well, it's not goodnight, actually, for once. So Yay. we're doing this in the, in the light. So yeah, you can say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, thank you. Goodbye. See you. See you on the beach, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for, for coming on. And uh, we oh, did... Party. Yeah, we'll see him at the 100K party here. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's much that's much closer than El Salvador. It's in Miami. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, that's that's the idea, at least. And uh, well, there's the conference coming up soon as well in uh, June, 4th, 5th of June. The, Where's that uh, at? In Miami as well. Make sure you uh, check that out and uh, get a ticket because you'll be able to get some some good interviews going for the for the documentary because many people are expecting to, to go, uh, we, us included. We want to get over there and, and spend two or three months. Oh, nice. Yeah, from, no, yeah and, definitely have to go because, um, you know, the film world right now, the festivals and everything are uh, very much on hold. Uh, so, so my traveling has been cut. Uh, so there's a little bit of room in the budget to, to take one trip for the first time. Usually I'm on the, you know, we travel every month or two or and uh, ever since March, we've just been sitting here. Yeah, I know, man. Well, yeah, and thanks for having me on your podcast, uh, Bitcoin Made Simple, which uh, oh, yeah. you've you've already started uh, rolling out. You should show that. Who, who's been on and who's coming on? Um, so I had you. I had uh, John Vallis came on uh, second. And then Jeff Booth uh, will be coming on this week. Um, and I'm hoping to reach out to, you know, some other people. Like, I really like... Uh, uh, Lynn Alden, I like her perspective, and I mean, I like a lot of people's perspectives. So, I'm hoping to figure out to reach out to her and, um, you know, a couple other people. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can expand that reach and and get more people. And I, like you said, people are so approachable in this um, that I wasn't prepared for that. You even prepared me uh, when we were DMing each other. You said, you said, oh, everybody's very approachable here, and I'm used to like, you know, I mean they have to usually go through agents and, you know, it's like very vanity based. <laughs> so uh, the Bitcoiners are much more welcoming. I've found. Yeah. There's no legacy uh, BS tied up with uh, many people here. They're just, uh, they just, they, they want to spread the message and share their knowledge and uh, more than happy to give up their time, which I've found over the last year has been, um, you know, it blew me away. It really did. Mm -hmm. And it still impresses me to this day. And it's like no other group of people you've ever been exposed to before. It's crazy. And everybody is so willing. Yeah, helpful. Yeah, that's a great, great word. Yeah. And like, uh, even, you know, it goes to the to the level of, um, you know, Michael Saylor doing the the uh, his presentation for all the CEOs and everything of, of how to transition their treasuries to Bitcoin. And it's like, I mean, you're sharing strategies. I mean, yeah, it's beneficial for him if more people buy into Bitcoin, but like you're opening your playbook, um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's cool to see that in the Bitcoin community, um, you know, uh, the film industry, there's most people are trying to get something from you, you know, in the moment that they, realize that they're not going to be able to advance themselves from you and uh you know or you're not going to give them something you can like see them immediately tune out it's amazing like there's this uh i'm not trying to trash filmmakers that's all i'm doing um but uh if you go to the american film market um was the biggest film market every year in santa monica um and you know you there's this like lobby that is filled with prospective filmmakers, like all the big meetings happen back in the hotel rooms, you know, everybody, they're all set up like offices and, um, you know, like a standard conference and you pre-schedule your meetings and everything. 
but there were a lot of people that would just show up in the lobby of the hotel there and hang out, you know, dressed up like they were, you know, some kind of movie star and, you know, all trying to look important. And like, you walk through there and you have to like hide your badge so that people don't see like, cause they're like, Oh, there's somebody with a green badge. And they like, they go running after you like, Hey, make my career, make my career, you know? And, um, and then the moment that you start talking, you like, I could talk to them about sports or something and, and they start to tune out. Cause they're like, Oh, I guess he's not going to help me become a movie star. Um, where it's the opposite with Bitcoin. Everybody's like very interested in, in each other's stories and how they got there and, and what, you know, what Bitcoin means to them and, and kind of the betterment of society, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I want to ask you about that world that you've just described, because that's, that's not something many of us have ever been exposed to. And it all, we've grown up, right? Um, certainly my generation, we're like the big, uh, movies um, of the 80s and 90s and then moving into like the, the big um, huge kind of I mean it kind of redefined movie making didn't it with all the CGI and everything that, that, that mm -hmm. came in and it's been, just been such a big part of people's lives growing up idolizing uh, movie stars or mm -hmm. you know, A-listers celebrities whatever you want to call them uh, to be to be making these movies must be you, you, you obviously see a completely different side of things than, than we do. We just see the magic that turns up on the, on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea what it's like for the day-to-day. -day. So how, how did you get your, your break into this business? What, what, what drew you into it? Because this isn't something you learn at school, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, study education. Film. <laughs> you can study, you know, do film studies, which is what I did. Um, you know, in media and everything. But uh, I mean, there is no like graduation process where it's like, hey, here you go. Um, so the way that I got in, uh, I guess I could kind of say this publicly now. Um, this is a little crazy. But uh, so I went to the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and when I was graduating there in 2009, right after graduation, the, the basketball arena is where the graduation was and like right afterwards they were converting it to a um an mma uh octagon I'm like oh what's this about and um and it turned out that they were shooting the movie warrior have you ever seen that movie with uh joel edgerton tom hardy um uh and it's yeah it's a it's an mma movie about two brothers that you know end up fighting each other and um and so I saw they were going to start filming this movie in Pittsburgh and in Pittsburgh, they film a lot of movies, you know, they probably get like six, seven studio movies a year because of the tax credit and stuff like that. Um, so I'd been familiar with it, trying to find a way. I mean, I studied it in, in school. So I'm like, okay, I have to find a way to get into this industry. Uh, and I saw that they're going to start shooting a movie on my campus right after I graduate. Like what are the odds? Um, so what I did to get into the business was I looked up the uh, executive producer of the movie on IMDb. His name was John Kelly. Um, and I just decided to drive to the set and parked. And I walked up to an intersection where like, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie being shot. There's like people gathered to see what's going on. You know, like we call them looky loos. Um, and so I walk up and there's a production assistant, a PA, who 
to me, I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, this PA is obviously like the most important person in Hollywood. Little did I know that like whenever I eventually did become a PA, you're like lowest man on the totem pole. You're literally not allowed to eat lunch until everyone that is a union member is eaten. Um, and you basically get like the scraps. You're like, oh, good. They left some, you know, cheesy potatoes for me. Um, and so I'm, I go up to this PA and I said, I said, hi, I'm, I'm here to meet with John Kelly. Just kind of made it up. <laughs> and uh, it was, a, I guess, a white lie. Um, so he gets on his walkie and he goes, anyone have a 20 on John Kelly? All this stuff to me. I'm like, what in the world does 20 on John Kelly mean? Like, you know. Uh, all this terminology that you learn once you get into the business and they go, okay, uh, he's at base camp. No idea what that means. I'm like, okay. And like, we'll get a van. We'll, we'll take you down to base camp. So I'm like, uh, okay. Um, so this van pulls up and they're like, you going down to base camp? Sure. I get in. I have no idea. I mean, they could have been taking me down underneath a bridge and like, you know, whacked me. Um, I had no idea. Get down to this base camp and it just drops me off and there's trailers everywhere. Like, you know, it's, that's where all the trailers of, you know, the actors and, and all the, the workers, everything, hair and makeup. And I'm looking around and I walk into this uh, cafeteria area and they had set up their office in there. And there was a group of all the producers were sitting in a big like table. I mean, there were like eight or nine people um, sitting around this like round table, basically. And I had Googled him and looked and like Google imaged him. And there were no pictures of him, but like there were a couple of group pictures and I had figured out, okay, this guy was in this group photo and that one and that one. So I kind of like, I think that's him. So then I, I looked at the table and I'm looking, I'm like, oh God, there he is. Okay. I think I found him. Still don't know if that's even his name. And I just went up to him and I said, Hey, John, um, Corey Tusik, uh, you said uh, I could job shadow you. And he was like, oh yeah. And like, he was like the coolest guy in the world, like totally went with it. And, um, you know, he was like, yeah, come over here. Like I must have caught him at the right time where he wasn't super busy with something. He takes me over and like introduces me to the other producers. He's like, oh, this is Corey. He's job shadowing me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it takes me, introduces me to the caterer. He's like, yeah, you want to go check out base camp? And he shows me everything. Um, and, and then I kind of just hung out with him for the rest of that day. And then I said at the end, I said, do you mind if I come down tomorrow? You know, he gave me the schedule. He said, yeah, no, come down. So I did that for about a week and they were shooting nights. They were, they were shooting at night and I was life, I was a lifeguard during the day. Um, so I'm like burning the candle at both ends. And, uh, and then finally he, um, there was this one day I'd been there for like a week or two um, kind of taking so you feel weird when you're on a movie set and you don't have a responsibility because everybody is moving so fast you know it's like hair and makeup's running like get out of my way blah 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 and you know sometimes there's arguments and yelling and you know you just kind of like oh oh like should I, should I get out of here um and uh and then there was one day where he was he was really busy and he was on the phone the whole time so I didn't get much FaceTime with him and I kind of felt like okay I've reached the end of my you know, run here. This was fun, you know, hanging out on a movie set. I guess I should go into the real world, you know, get like some kind of sales job in a machine parts selling company, you know, like sell machine parts and whatever. This is my life. And um, so I, I literally did the Irish uh, farewell where I just, I left, you know, that's how I usually leave parties and stuff like that is I just don't say goodbye to anybody. 
um, and I just leave. And I, I was like, that's it. I'm done. And by the time I got home and this is before a smartphone. So I get home, check my email and I had an email from him um, that said, do you want to come in tomorrow and work for money? And I was like, all right, there we go. Um, so yeah, then my first job was to literally go in because they're making this MMA fight. Um, and the final scene was the big fight between Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And they needed like 8,000 people in the arena. So I had, a, they gave me a list of, I think 15,000 people who said that they would come down and be an extra. And I had to call them all and confirm whether or not they were going to come. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that uh, was the start of the, literally the lowest, like the worst job in the world. Um, and it was funny, my first day, if you work in the movie business, you know that there's like a 12 hour day would be the shortest possible day you could ever have. Uh, most days are like 15, 16 hours. And, um, and so I go to work my first day, I'm thinking, oh, like, I guess my family's like, hey, when, when are you going to be done? I'm like, I don't know, I guess like five o'clock, I could get there at nine, be done at five. And um, no, that's not what happened. I was, I was there till 1130. Uh, and like, nobody told me to go home. Like, I just was like, still there calling. And like the whole place was empty. And I was like, I guess I'll close up shop and come in tomorrow bright and early to keep calling these phone numbers. So, so yeah, Mate, that's, that's, that's excellent. I love it. Oh man. That's uh, and there's a lesson there for, for anybody younger that, that's listening about this is how you get shit done, right? This is how you, you, you get your opportunity to start a new role, start a job, even, even, uh, you know, you, you could pull that kind of trick on uh, a college admission. Um, you know, it's, it, it's these left field antics that, um, that people like kind of like, what? You can't do that. You've got to play by the rules. You've got to go through the, you know, all of the loopholes and do this and do that. And, you know, but then if you do that, you are just a, a piece of paper on a stack on someone's desk that no one's looking at. Yep. It's this yeah. that works. Exactly. And, you know, I always was like, oh, I, I kind of feel bad, you know, like tricking this producer. Um, but as time went on and, and I grew in the business, I started to realize, like, I think he knew what I was doing, you know, um, because and he, he just happened to be a cool guy that like wanted to help people in their careers. Um, but it's something similar, like. Right now, if a, if, a, if a kid came up to me on set and said, hey, you said I could job shadow you, I'd be like, oh, yeah, come on. You know, and knowing that he would, you know, he's just trying to make his way in the world, um, you know, and, uh, and uh, the, you know, you have to be willing to do, um, do, stu do something for free if it's what you really love. You know, like if it, if it is a passion of yours, you have to be willing to do it with no pay. Um, and I think that people see that passion because that really turns people, you know, that kind of, especially in the movie business, if you're, if you're there picking up cigarette butts for free, like that shows that you really want to be in the industry. Not saying that that's what you have to do, but if you're just there for the glitz and glamour, um, cause that fades away really quickly, you know, like you're, mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, this is great. I'm in like the movies, you know? And then like within two weeks, you're like, Ugh. There's no more glitz and glamour. All the all the bright lights have dimmed. You see the 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 underbelly of what is really going on, um, you know. So and it's just, and it really is just a job for 
you know, everyone else. So, um, so yeah, I always tell people, you know, uh, I, I hate the name drop, but even, uh, the, uh, the late Tony Scott, um, uh, Ridley Scott's brother, uh, you know, did like, uh, Top Gun and all that. And I worked on a movie called Unstoppable, a train movie with, uh, that he directed. And, um, you know, me not being shy, I was still new in the industry, me not being shy. I just would always talk to him every time he was near me. And, um, and he said, he was like, yeah, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You know, you don't, it paycheck doesn't mean anything, you know, if you want to get in this. And also he said, a lot of people get, get complacent, you know, and think they made it. He said, so never, he's like, I'm, I forget how old he was, but he was like, you know, I don't feel like I haven't made it yet, you know, and I'm still, you know, working away. So, um, so yeah, you have to, you have to be willing to do that and grind and, and, uh, and then if you really love it, you'll find a way to stick around. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a weird, um, just to close a loop off on that story, Ridley Scott was in our town, uh, one year ago, one year ago. Oh, really? Tiny, yeah, tiny little town in France. And the reason he was here uh, was to film his last film. This is going to be his swan song. Oh, and okay. It's a film called The Duel. And because his first film, his first ever film, Ridley's, I think was called The Duelist, which starred Harvey Keitel back in the mid 70s and was filmed around this region. So he loves this region and there's castles and medieval villages everywhere, right? This mm -hmm. is, it is picture perfect, this place. Yeah. So they rolled in last year and I went and signed up to be an extra. So I would, oh, have, been, nice. I would have been one of the 15,000 people that people were calling through. <laughs> uh, I never made it, which is a shame, but uh, we had it in town and uh, there were multiple sightings and people running into uh, into them. Uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were were starring in the film. Oh, nice, nice. Jodie Jodie Comer, British actress, and Adam Driver, uh, Kylo Ren from from Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. So you, if you find you'll find too that like m most of the stories of celebrities being jerks are is completely unfounded. Um, you know, like even uh, you. Have you ever seen the Christian Bale, uh, you know, whenever he like kind of lost it and flipped out on set? Um, uh, what movie was that on? Uh, and, you know, it was like the, the cinematographer moved behind him and like messed up his eye line. And then the uh, they have the audio recording of him just like flipping out on the guy. So people were like, oh, he must be a jerk. Um, and then actually they were filming the movie The Dark Knight Rises in Pittsburgh. Um, and so I was working on that. And uh, this one lady that worked in the one building, she was just like the elevator operator. And she told me, she said, oh, uh, she said, I met Christian Bale. And uh, she's like, but I had no idea it was him. I think he came in with a beard and it was like, he you know, hadn't gone to hair and makeup yet. He was like his first day in. And he asked her, you know, oh, did you meet? um anybody yet and she said no but i heard that that guy that plays batman's a real jerk <laughs> and um and then she said the next day she had a bouquet of flowers uh from him so uh you know he's it, they're they're all all those stories it's just people desperate for you know attention i, I want to see the britney spears documentary that just came out because i'm really curious to see how they capture that that paparazzi side because even there was a a time with uh 
with a Catherine Heigl on a movie and like her personal not bodyguard but like her liaison was like if you see any paparazzi show up and he's like and they will like they're not allowed to be here and they'll pop up quick and you let us know and like and they're like literally the rudest people in the world um you know they and they're so desperate to get these you know snapshots of people in their personal life or working and you know just so the tabloids can run a story that says oh did you see that you know look on her face in between takes she must be miserable you know like well no i mean like she's a human being you know people have bad days uh you just usually don't have a bad day with a bunch of cameras around you um i even had like i've had christian bale moments on sets where i <laughs> got into it with somebody and i'm like thank god i'm a nobody and like nobody cares what i'm saying because like this argument would be all over the place mate come on you gotta you gotta keep dropping the names people are gonna love this uh, uh i know I, I this is the worst so because it's also bad because i had already started in the business whenever i met my wife um i mean just in my infancy in my career so i was like okay how do i talk to this girl and not say names you know um and uh and yeah so that she uh she quickly saw through that and uh you know called me out on any time i mean if she heard if she was listening right now which she's not uh because she's doesn't <laughs> she doesn't care what i have to say anymore um after this long but uh but if she was listening she'd be like oh my god he's name dropping um so if anybody thinks that that's what's happening that's not the case at all it's just um trying to stick up for the the celebrities that get a bad rap and um you know uh now she if i if i ever there's a couple of the actresses or actors that you know maybe i had a little bit more of a personal relationship with so i um i always tell her i always refer to them as their like nickname like not what they go by but why people that know them call them and i do that just to like twist the knife or you know just to like drive her nuts a little bit like oh you know uh, there's Rosie, you know, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, like you're so familiar with her, which I'm not, but uh, I like to <laughs> I like to drop that and you know being annoying, uh, be annoying to her. Um, so you know, now I mean we're in a completely different because yeah, I went from that to um, I was working on like as like low man on the totem pole on small movies uh, or big movies, you know, and I think a lot of people in the industry they kind of like that because it's like something to brag about like oh i worked on the batman movie i worked on this i worked on that um you know so you tell that to people when you come home for you know christmas break and it sounds great um but i got into it to make movies and actually do something and not just run and get coffee for people um so yeah so i i, I pulled the plug on that and i i, I met a uh i met the independent movie producer um here in pittsburgh and um and became you know i mean we're like great friends now and and been working together for you know 10 years and so on the verge you know i think career-wise probably in the next five to ten years there'll be a lot of stuff that like you know i could then lay claim to um but but that's i'd rather be doing stuff that i like to do and and smaller things than be, being able to say oh i worked on you know like I remember the Avengers when the Avengers was filming everybody I worked with on cruise, they were like, are you going to work on the Avengers? You going to work on the Avengers? And I was like, no. And they're like, how could you say no to Marvel and the Avengers? And I was like, because they, 
I have no input on what's happening in the movie. Like I'm not creating anything. So why would I care? You know, it's, it's amazing what people are willing to do. They're willing to stand on their feet for 16 hours and get yelled at um, and treated like dog shit just to say that they worked on the Avengers movie or something like that. Um, so yeah, wow. that's a little bit of my <laughs> behind the scenes, what really is going on. Yeah, exactly. So you did move on to, to start uh, producing your own movies and um, um, founded your own company or companies as, as I think is the case. Mm-hmm. Ha- what's, um, what, what work would we might have seen in the past? Is there anything you could uh, put us on to? Um, one of my favorite movies we have is an independent film. Uh, I think you can watch it on Amazon Prime um, called uh, uh, Sacrifice. It has um, Luke Kleintank is from uh, The Man in the High Castle, if you ever saw that. Um, and then it has uh, um, Dermot Mulroney in it. Uh, couple other a couple other smaller but it's a it's a real small one like it's a pretty cool movie kind of suspenseful one of those like everything that goes wrong um as far as big stuff goes um i'm working on a couple movies right now that uh are kind of stalled because of covid um so unfortunately these are the ones ones about the sinking of the titanic um called uh unsinkable and uh and it's the story of like what happens like the movie starts at the sinking of the Titanic and like the first 10 to 15 minutes is like the Titanic going down and and all that kind of craziness. And then it goes into what happens afterwards. Um, And that's the first thing that pulled me in because I realized with every Titanic movie, you never get beyond the sinking. Like it it sinks and then it's over. Um, But whenever I first got the script and started reading it, and it's about uh, the Senate inquiries that happened in uh, the United States right after the sinking. Um, and a lot of the laws like travel laws and, and maritime laws that exist today um, existed because of this Senator that basically committed you know, political suicide um, trying to find uh, you know, justice for the people. Because it's a really sad story with what show, people showed up you know, if you think about it, it was women and children were the ones that got on lifeboats, um, you know, and most of them were the wealthy. And then it and then it trickled down to the, you know, poverty, um, the, the below deck people. And uh, and a lot. Of, so all these women and children showed up on the Carpathia at the United in the United States without the breadwinner, you know, like their husband was going to do the working and they were the homemaker. So they show up with no money and trying to start a new life and they're just screwed, <laughs> you know, and, and there's, it's one of those kind of like the, the big corporations uh, didn't want to pay out to the little people and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, so the Senator, he, he basically forced uh, the white star line uh, executives like Bruce Ismay. Um, that was the, the president of the white star line. And he's the one that uh, if you remember in the James Cameron Titanic, he's the one that gets on the boat on the lifeboat um, when he realizes there's a spot, even though he's somebody that should have gone down with the boat. Um, and uh, so he doesn't want to be, you know, try, he doesn't want to talk to anybody in the U S he wants to go back to the UK where he can be protected. And um, 
yeah, so this whole thing happens at the old Waldorf, uh, Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. Um, and, uh, and there's this big inquiry and it was all in the newspaper. So we take the actual, we take the actual um, testimonies and when people are giving their testimony, then it flashes back to what happened. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there's like uh, the Strauss family who owned Macy's. Um, they were the inspiration for James Cameron's story of, of uh, Rose getting back off the lifeboat. If you remember that, you know, she gets off because she didn't want to, she didn't want to be on life, live life without him. And, um, but that story actually was the, the Strauss, um, the couple that owned Macy's. Uh, the husband was staying behind and she gave her jewels and her coat to her maid and said, I've never, I've, I, I don't want to live one day on this earth without that, without that man. And she got back off the lifeboat. So we kind of do cool things where they give story, those stories back to the real people. Um, you know, James Cameron, he paid tribute to them. If you remember the one, uh, the one scene when they're showing all the different things going on and there's an old couple laying in bed and the, the bedrooms filling up with water. That was the Strauss couple. Um, so he did, you know, tip the cap to them. And I mean, for him, you know, obviously it was a romantic moment of Rose, you know, leaping off and climbing and, you know, and getting back with, with Jack, uh, you know, ours, you know, it's an elderly couple, so she's not leaping off. That's not what happened in real life. <laughs> she, she, you know, she had some, uh, somebody gave her a hand to help her over, but uh, yeah. So that one, I would say as far as other stuff that I've done in the past, there's, you know, it's just small independent stuff that frankly, not a lot of people know much about. So right. I can tell you to go look up obscure things. If you look me up on IMDb, maybe you'll, you'll come across some things. Uh, yeah, we did, you know, we did some producing on um, some small independent films that uh, were like foreign language films up for Oscars and stuff, um, you know, just to go that prestige route and, and try and win an award. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's what I do now. As of now, we're just, you know, starting a streaming platform and trying to get into that so so th th this is what's what's cool now you've you've fallen into the the bitcoin rabbit hole and now you want to start making and producing a film on the, the satoshi and like uh you know how it all came to be so i guess before we we get the the pitch of the movie let, let's hear the the journey you know what what brought you to what brought you to, to peer into this strange world of Bitcoin and what, what, what's kept you here? Um, number go up. No, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, of course, the, of course. <laughs> the easy answer. Um, the, so I think back in 2012 is whenever I first heard about Bitcoin and I'm like, Oh, well, what's this, you know, what's this internet money. And, and it's something that's like, so up my alley, you know, of like anti-establishment, you know, like pioneers, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I understood it enough to, knew, to know that it was going to be around. Um, but I knew if I was going to put money in, I needed to do more research. Um, so it's funny, I, I joke because I wanted to buy 10 Bitcoin at $100 a piece. Um, and what's it now? Today it's $48,000 a piece. Um, but I decided not to. Um, so I joke because, I mean, I look at what could I have spent that $1,000 on back then? 
when we were getting married and me and my wife decided to extend our honeymoon by three days, which I would never take that back. I would never, you know, an extra three days on your honeymoon if you're young and getting married, like that is time you'll never get back, you know, and, and time is the most valuable thing. Um, so I joked with her, I said, oh, like we could have just, you know, had three less days on our honeymoon and have right now have $480,000 in Bitcoin. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I look back on, I'm like, what else? Like there, there had to have been something that I could have cut or sold, you know what I mean? And so I kind of like, then, you know, 2013, it kind of hits its high, people are talking about it. And then it, you know, kind of goes to the back burner a little bit. Um, and then when it started heating up again in 2017, I was like, oh my God, I should have, I should have been on this, you know? Um, and so I had that regret and it gets to its all time high and I'm, you know, telling everybody like I should have bought it when it was low. Um, and then it fades away a little bit, but it, you know, at this time from 2017 to, 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 uh, 2020 you know it was something that I kept investigating I kept you know reading up about um, you know we had a, a friend who was into it and he said oh you like do your own research like he's like I could tell you everything he's like but I don't want you to invest based on what I tell you do your own research so that was in summer of 2018 I think and so ever since then you know it's been one of the five things that I google you know, like my five frequent Google things of like Bitcoin and, and uh, learning more and more and more. Um, and then what really, what pushed me over the edge to actually invest in it was in March when, you know, the draconian lockdowns and everything. And, and that's, you know, one thing that always kind of perks your ears up. But then whenever they started talking about printing money, I was like, what? Like, I'm not an economist at all. Like didn't study this stuff, but I don't think printing money is a good idea. Like I think this is I think it's gonna hurt the dollar. Um, and you know, I at the time you're like, what well, what can they really do? So I knew they're gonna do it. Um, and so I immediately bought some and I was like, I have to buy enough to feel the pain. Like if it goes down, I wanna be able to be like, ah, you know, I lost, you know, 20%. Like it's terrible. Um so I was kind of did that, like put my skin in the game. And then, um, and then what further threw me down the rabbit hole, I forget what podcast it was on. It might've been on yours or, or, you know, Peter McCormick's or maybe even, but it was uh, Preston Pish. So it could have even been his talking about quantitative easing. It was the first time. I mean, everybody's talked about it, but I just remember him bringing it up. It was the first time I ever heard quantitative easing. And I looked into that and I saw, oh my God, they've been printing money since 2008. You know, like I, that didn't, you know, to the average person, nobody, we didn't know that. Nobody knows that, that, that it's happening. And so immediately when that happened, I like tripled down. I was like, oh my God, this is like, this ship's going down. You know, the, U, the US dollar is sinking. So I go like, I feel like I go all in. And then ever since then, like just following it all summer long, um, I just kept getting more and more into it. I listening to all your podcasts and, and learning as much as I could. And, um, you know, just getting wrapped up into the world of Bitcoin and understanding what it means to the world. I just kept going. I just kept doubling and doubling. And I was just like going like to the extreme. And now I'm like, to the point where I'm like, uh, like, what can I sell to put into Bitcoin? Like I, you know, looking around, like, what do I have? Like, I don't, you know, 
all the savings, retirement, everything's in there. Um, and then you told me, I think what people say, sell your chairs or whatever. Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, like we could have a garage sale, you know, I could sell some old stuff, you know, turn it into Bitcoin. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into that down that rabbit hole and realized that like, this is it, you know, this is, this is everything. Um, there is no other way going forward. And, um, and yeah, so I kind of, here I am, you know, I, all of a sudden a year later, I'm doing a podcast about Bitcoin and that's what kind of sparked my interest. Cause one of the things that I was always interested in was who is Satoshi. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, that's what, you know, a lot is perks a lot, piques a lot of people's interest. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, now I'm making a movie about Bitcoin and, and have gone all in on Bitcoin and, uh, and, you know, it's to the point where like, I think I told you I own one Ethereum just for like shits and giggles. Um, but like, well, they, forget the garage sale. We'll just sell that, man. Yeah, That's, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, you have no, many t- no idea how many times I'm like, yeah, I should just get rid of that one. Um, but it's like my friends, whenever, whenever right before Elon uh, tweeted about it and everything, I had friends starting to go, Hey, you know, what's, what's, uh, what should we do with this Bitcoin thing? And, um, and immediately they sent me like the pie, like, Oh, you can mine on your phone. And I was like, no, 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 none of that. And they're like, there's other ones that are interesting. And I'm like, explore them. And then you'll find out that there is only one there's Bitcoin. There's nothing else. Um, everything else is just, a, a something that wants to be Bitcoin. Exactly. So, wow. You, you, you know, welcome to the rabbit hole. So, <laughs> so, you know, such a quick descent is amazing that you've, you've already started trying to find shit to sell. Uh, you see it very, very clearly. Not only that, you're, you're making a film about the biggest boating accident that's ever lived. So you, you're right on with the meme of, um, you know, losing your private keys in a boating accident. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and you, you're looking at making a documentary about uh, Satoshi and, you know, accomplished filmmaker. I'm sure you could uh, get some, you know, some nice big celebrities to come in and, and play these roles. Who knows? It uh-huh. could be pretty exciting. But for, for people, you know, what, what's the pitch? What's the pitch on the movie? How, how do you see it uh, kind of taking shape? So the way I see it is, uh, you know, documentary, I mean, calling it searching for Satoshi, it sounds like you're trying to actually dox him. Um, so I always want to make sure that um, if Satoshi's out there listening, I am not trying to dox you at all. <laughs> That's not the case. But, um, you know, the Satoshi narrative is something that draws in the average person. You know, it's a, it's a mystery that I think can drive the narrative of what Bitcoin is. You know, there's a, there's a lot of videos and everything about, you know, what Bitcoin is, but you have to be down that rabbit hole to really want to like watch it um, where the average person isn't going to, they're just going to be like, well, I'm not even looking at something about Bitcoin. I mean, my wife, I can't even talk to her, but she, she's happy that we're doing it, you know, and she trusts me, whatever. But but like every, anytime I start talking about it, her eyes glaze over and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Bitcoin. Okay. Um, I usually give up. She made it like five minutes one time into me explaining it. And then she's like, okay, that, that's enough. I'm good. She's like, I think I get it. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, so, so searching for Satoshi is kind of that, you know, the way to draw in the average um, viewer. Um, but I also think that there's something, you know, powerful behind that, um, like trying to understand who Satoshi is, why they created what they created. Um, because I think that will resonate with people. Um, and then on that journey, as we go around and, and interview people to ask them who they think Satoshi is, you know, trying to get people's best guesses, what they know about them. Um, you know, certainly when I interview like Gavin Anderson and, and all the, you know, original people um, to try and narrow down as to like, okay, here's the list of who it could be based off of people's suggestions and probably ultimately get to the end where, where Satoshi, um, you know, we realize it doesn't matter um, and then be okay with that, you know, and realize that this was a gift that was given to us. Um, and there's a certain amount of power too with like, with it being an anonymous person. Um, I'm sure most Bitcoiners agree with me where we prefer Satoshi to stay anonymous. Um, so the, the, you know, some people say, oh, you actually want to uncover who he is? I'm, no. Um, but I would, if there was anything to come of it, I would love for him to go on to like a message board where like one of his message boards where you can verify that it's him and like respond like uh, like when the Dorian Nakamoto thing happened and he research and Satoshi resurfaced on uh, one of his threads or something and said, I am not Dorian Nakamoto, you know, like something like that. It would be cool to spark um, to spark that. Uh, there's re there's reasons why I think that that hasn't happened. Um, you know, I, I have a I think I have a pretty good hunch on who it is just, uh, you know, but it, it doesn't like I said, it doesn't matter. Um, so I also said, too, it would be funny because what if Satoshi was from the future? Like that would like, that would be the ultimate twist. Um, you know, what if he goes on the message board and, uh, you know, if I had to like five questions to ask him um, via message board, one of them would probably be, are you from the future? Just, just on the off chance that he was like, yes. I'd be like, oh, you know, people's minds would blow. And, um, it's the sci-fi movie. People love sci-fi right there. That's another thing to keep, keep people uh, interested or bring them in to, to the message right well it's fun yeah you know people that are familiar with star wars have, are you a star wars fan um i grew seen, up like, watching star wars yeah okay yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm a huge star wars nerd um and do you see rogue one um yeah. you know how it goes right into the beginning of a new hope and there's that scene at the end where they have the death star plans on a hard drive and they're like running and trying to get away from Darth Vader and get it onto the ship and everything. I had this idea of like, what if you had a sci-fi movie in the future where like somebody figured out how to communicate to the past via, via the internet. That's the only way, you know, you can't travel physically, but you can send messages digitally back. And they, dis they figured out this system called Bitcoin. And if it had existed, if it had come into existence in 2008, it would end, it would like stave off this empire and, you know, destruction and everything that would happen. And so I imagine this like scene similar to the end of Rogue One, where like this group of people had the, the plan for Bitcoin and some, you know, evil empires trying to get rid of it because they know it'll end them. 
And so they're all like with a thumb drive passing on Bitcoin with the white paper and everything. And then it, you know, finally gets to Princess Leia, <laughs> if, you, if it would be. And, you know, she plugs it into the computer and sends the message back to October 31st, 2008 uh, with the white paper and saves humanity from, you know, whatever <laughs> destruction they're going to be in. Um, so I was like, you got, two mo- you got two movies up your sleeve right here. <laughs> oh man, it's there's like endless possibilities with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely spoiler alert, but that could be an element of a movie, and like maybe to avoid being like, oh, this is a Bitcoiner movie, um, you know, and appealing to the mass audience. Maybe there's something like that, an element like that uh, to to send back. I have this epic sci-fi treatment. Um, laid out that uh that could it could play into something like that uh that's going to be my thing that i'll probably make in like 10 years i just have to have i want to be like the george lucas level like i don't want studios or anybody telling me what i can and can't do with that one i just want to go so that one that one is that's the one that's gonna i'm gonna do that with my own money and uh and maybe bitcoin, bitcoin. yeah I was, I, was, I was gonna say by then you <laughs> You know, if, if Bitcoin keeps turning everything on its head, there'll be a few Bitcoiner uh, celebrities that just want to come and do the film just for the love of it. They don't want to get paid, right? This will be. Oh yeah, uh, that's how it'll. That's how it'll turn. The people, you know, it, it. People will no longer care about money. You know, that's right. that's the funniest part about Bitcoin is that you get into it for money, and and then it's almost like the money doesn't matter at a certain point. That being said, I mean, I'm, I am nervous for the big first drawback. Um, you know, like the only decline I've felt since I got into it was like a 20% drop. Right. And that was like, <laughs> made me sweat, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm like <laughs> questioning everything that I'm, that I thought about it. Uh, so I can't even imagine what the 80% drops are like, you know. Oh, like, they good fun. What you, were you, you guys? You get it. <laughs> How do you guys handle that whenever it drops like 80%? You're just like, oh, well, uh, are people um, lining up to jump off the bridges or? No, no, no. The people are lining up to point fingers and laugh at you that you've been trying to orange pill. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely first in line. You know, I told you that thing was shit. What did you do? It? Uh, um, they're not but, coming back now, are they? Yeah, I mean... Maybe another ten thousand dollars to the high, uh, to the top side, and everybody will just start asking more and more questions and coming back and like, uh, you still in that thing? Yeah. Do yeah, a podcast no. about it. <laughs> you can <laughs> listen to that if you want. If you don't want to listen to me, listen to the hundred and fifteen people I've 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 interviewed and and listen to their their views. Um, but yeah, you, what, what's funny, and you've already felt it, is that that conviction point that point where it turns over from pure investment, let's just see what it is to for all speculation, let's just try and uh, make a bit of money off this thing to conviction. And when, when you feel that conviction, it doesn't matter what the price is. In fact, you want it to draw down 80% so you can get more sats. Mm-hmm. It's um, no, most people think, Oh, if it draws down 80%, you've lost all that money. It's like, no, I haven't lost, I haven't lost anything. I've still got the pile of Satoshis over here. They're all good. And now I can add to them uh, a much 
quicker rate than I was adding to, adding to them before. So yeah, well, bring on, bring on the drawdowns. Uh, you know, that's, that's. I would welcome it, you know, because I always tell people, you know, what, what is your short-term versus long-term, you know, plans? Um, and to me, you know, I'm in my thirties. So the way I look at it is that most of everything that I'm putting in there, I don't plan on touching forever, like for 30 years, you know, like that's re- initially I thought, I mean, at this point I've gone like all, all in <laughs> where I'm like, I, I think it's dangerous to keep money in the bank, you know, mm-hmm. like other than like a six week, what do I need for the next six weeks? Okay. I'll put that in the bank, the rest in Bitcoin. Um, uh, but, but in, in it, the majority of it, I'm like, uh, you know, 401k, that doesn't exist anymore. I got rid of that. Like a, everything. I was like, this 401k is going to be valued in dollars in 30 years. Um, and dollar is going to be garbage in 30 years. Um, so yeah. So to me, an 80% drawdown doesn't matter because it always bounces higher. It, you know, as, as Preston has pointed out, it's mathematical, basically, you know, multiple people pointed out it's math. It's, it's built in. Um, so yeah, it, it stings whenever, if you want to look at it and go, Oh, like I lost 20,000, you know, or uh, 20% or whatever, um, you know, that, that hurt. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking at the time scale of 30 years, uh, what Bitcoin's going to be worth then, it's not even close. Um, so I think that's the easiest way I tell people to not sweat it. Um, and also I, I think I had told you, I tried, uh, trading at the beginning in like, that was stupid. Like, first of all, nobody should ever trade because what I found with like, it, like you said, the conviction was what, what switched for me was very quickly. I was found myself looking at the number of Satoshis I had versus dollars. So like when I have the, when I had, when I owned Bitcoin and the price is going up and down, I'm like completely secure. I have no, I'm not like sweating it at all, not nervous. And then when I tried to trade it and think, okay, it's at the top, it's going to go down and I can buy more. Um, as soon as I would sell them, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And like, I'm watching my phone for like four hours, just praying that it goes down. And I never made it more than like 1%. Like if it went down 1% from what I sold it at, I immediately bought back because I was like, I'm not waiting any longer. Like I was just so nervous that I was going to lose out on Satoshi's. And, um, and so that was like kind of an aha moment for me. Like, Whoa, like this really, this, this dollar value in your portfolio doesn't matter. Like the, the number of Satoshi's is the, is the number it'll stay the same. It's not going away. So the only reason you would ever sell is because if somebody told you it was guaranteed to drop 50%, you're selling not to protect your dollars, but so that you can buy more Satoshis. Um, you know, so then you go down that rabbit hole of like, well, what should I, should I trade or should I not? Should I mine? Should I not? You know, and like, and then you keep, I kept coming up to the answer. If it's just cheaper and smarter to just buy them. Like if you can buy them, why would you mine them? If you can, if you can buy them, why would you try to trade to get more? Just, you know, I mean, people that are trading, you know, it's like gambling. You always think you're going to come out ahead and 
you're not. It's a, it's a, it's not going to work in your favor. You know, there's very few people that uh, maybe know the numbers or, or, or card readers and, and can do it. So, um, yeah, I learned that lesson. I fortunately didn't lose any Satoshis, didn't leave any Satoshis on the table, but it was just like four hours of sheer panic when I sold them. And like, oh my God, oh my God, please go down, please go down. Because as soon, you know, it's like you sell it and then that green bar starts going up. You're like, no, 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 I knew it. I knew it. Like, I shouldn't have done it. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it, I'm fully into the just huddle and, you know, don't, don't touch them. Exactly. Just, uh, just dollar cost average and just keep building to the stack and, Enjoy the ride because it's uh, it's a fun space to be. Um, whether you're watching the price or watching Bitcoin Twitter and uh, interacting with all of the characters here and learning from as many people as possible, and and watching how you know how negatively some people act towards it, it is unbelievable. It's you know you you, you can't yeah. What's up with that? Is that always the case? Is that yeah. has that always been the case? Yeah, it, it comes in fits and spurts, but it always happens when we have these these spikes in price. Um, the, the, the real haters just start coming at it, and you're like, guys, come on, stop! Like, you know, this isn't a new thing. This has been around for twelve years. Um, if it would have been, it, it would have been stopped. It would have, yeah, a long time ago. It's, you know, like it's all the fud and everything. You know, mm-hmm. who was it that they? In like 2011, the U.S. hired um, to to look into it and see if it was something they could stop, basically. And um, and she was like, "Yeah, you can't stop it. Like, <laughs> there's no <laughs> shutting it down." Um, which is amazing to me that they didn't buy in, or maybe they secretly did. Um, you know, how many how many uh, Bitcoin did they confiscate from Mt. Gox or? Uh, I think that um, something to the tune of 70,000 coins still sit with the uh, the federal government, I believe, uh, or Federal Bureau of Investigation, whoever made the arrest, I suppose. I think they seized uh, Ross Ulbricht's Ross um, wallets. Oh, yeah. Uh, but again, I, I don't know exactly the story and whether they still hold them or whether they auctioned them off. They've auctioned some off in the past from from wherever they got them. Um, I know how <laughs> stupid they are with money, with fiscally, how irresponsible they are fiscally. They probably sold them when it went well, up fifty percent. <laughs> yep, uh, uh, because nobody gets held accountable, right? They've, they've, you know, it's their, it's their job to get rid of these things, and you know that's more important to that person rather than holding on for the for the upside and the the, the change it might make to humanity. No, no one cares. It's like you know, you, you find someone in a um, in a like a government job or a council job, and they've got a budget to spend that year, and they'll they'll spend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won't yeah. keep any of it. They'll spend it on the most ridiculous stuff, and it will just be of no use to anyone uh, of that you know village or town or city or society. But they'll spend it, and they'll feel as though they've done their job. It's just mad. Well, that, that actually is one of the things that interests me about bringing Bitcoin into the movie industry. Um, because like when you go from like studio movies, the spending is so wasteful. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then you go into the independent world, you have to be a little bit more frugal, but it's still pretty wasteful. <laughs> like the, like the stuff that you spend money on um, is, is crazy. And, you know, so I feel like once Bitcoin becomes even more entrenched in as a financial uh, reserve, um, you know, and bringing more Bitcoiners into the, to the movie world, that I feel like if I were to produce a movie with all Bitcoiners, it would be the most fiscally responsible movie ever. It would be the most efficient movie. Every single dollar would be spent to the absolute max. Um, I always tell people when they say, what's the most accurate representation of Hollywood, like in movies? Have you ever seen Tropic Thunder? Yes, I was going to bring that up as an example. Yes. Yeah. Tropic Thunder is hands down the most accurate representation <laughs> of the movie industry. Um, you know, like they, at the end of the, the bombing run, right? The yeah. The bombing run. And then like, <laughs> and then they have, um, they have a party, like they have this huge party with like a rock and roll group and like fireworks and everything. And they're like, what are you celebrating? And like, it was, Oh, we finished the first week of shooting. <laughs> like there's parties for everything. Like you'll be, when you see a movie and how it like travels around the world, um, you know, and it's set in different places, watch it and know that every time they left that location, there was a massive party. Like you would think it was like graduation, like, a, like a, everybody leaving and saying goodbye. And it's this huge party and there's, you know, like hors d'oeuvres and caviar and like, you know, expensive drinks and everybody's having a blast. And, <laughs> and then you're like, what, is this just because we're leaving this town? Like we're, we're just moving to another state to keep filming like the job's not done like we still have a lot of work to do but you know everybody yeah if, if there's money in the budget they go for it there's some movies too where you look at how much money they spend and it and you can look at it and even the average person can go that'll never make its money back um and i call those uh studio obligation fillers like where they must have like oh we have an agreement with such and such actor to do like a five picture deal and like we just need to kind of get this off of <laughs> we have one last movie to do with this actor we got to do it you know hey we can take a loss like they go into it knowing they're like oh you know let's spend 200 million dollars on this movie it's probably not going to make it back and it's like well, what kind of business is that <laughs> and again it's kind of like government you know because studios and stuff used to be like the owners own them but now it's like Oh, you're an executive. If you get fired, whatever, you just move, you get a job in another studio and keep going. I hope none of them are listening because now they're going to all hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine many of them are listening to Bitcoin podcasts. Not, uh, not and yet. If they, if they are, I would think they are down the rabbit hole with me and understand, um, you know, how much of a mess it is and how wasteful the spending is. Yeah. But I mean, even everything in that movie down to, um, the uh, Les Grossman, Tom Cruise's character. Yeah. Yes. My favorite scene is whenever he, uh, Matthew McConaughey's talking to Flaming Dragon, you know, the terrorists or whatever, the drug <laughs> dealers. And Tom Cruise just walks over, grabs the phone, and he goes, This is Les Grossman. And then he's, uh, Who am I talking to? And they say, Flaming Dragon. He's like, Well, you know, take a step back and fuck your own face, you know, just like flips out on them, talks like and just drops F bombs like crazy for like 30 seconds. And then he hangs up the phone and throws it and he's walking up 
to his desk and he points to his assistant. And he's like, could you uh, find out who that was? Like, <laughs> I've seen like, I've seen that happen. I've actually seen stuff like that happen. Um, there's things I could say that are like, I've been on like phone calls where I'm like, oh my God, like, this is terrible. You know, like the, not the necessarily in the me too world, but like in like just how like people treat other people terribly, like the, the abuse of workplace and like, the things I've heard said to people, I'm like, oh my God, like, like this is, we're all going to die after this meeting. Like this, this, this is bad. And then you just, and then they're like, all right, see you later. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's crazy that, the that, that world, I love that film, that, that film I can, my kids love it. And I know they're probably too young to watch some of it and some of the language, but uh, oh, they, they oh, watched yeah. it with me once and we were just absolutely dying with laughter. And I still love going back to it. There's always a new gem in there that, that you pick up each time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually worked with some of the crew that worked on that movie and they said it was a pain because when they were shooting the scenes that were behind the scenes, like, they had all the crew members just play themselves as crew members. So you're going around your day, like working, but like then when they cut and go back to one, like you have to like stop what you're doing and go back and like, you can't like, Oh, I have to take this over to this trailer. And it's like, if you only make it like three quarters of the way there and they cut, like you had to go back and then rewalk that path just, <laughs> just for the movie. Um, so it, it kind of threw a wrench in their actual like work day. Um, but yeah, it's most accurate. And even down to, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, uh, you know, just like him, like the character, you know, basically being the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis of, you know, like the method acting and everything. It's just, it's hilarious. It's so, and Tom Cruise's best film ever. It's, uh, oh yeah, you know that's his, his best role, hands down. Without a doubt, um, that, that could be that could be the uh, mate. You you, you pff, pilling one of those guys, you know that that would be awesome. Uh, having Robert Downey coming in and uh, and starring as um, in your Satoshi Search for Satoshi movie or something, that would be that would be the best. Oh, that, that and Robert Downey Jr. I feel like I could get him because he's a he's a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Uh huh. Um, there you go. So, you just got to orange pill him and, yeah. uh, and you're sold. So I'll just, whenever we can have fans and games again, I'll invite him out. I mean, not that he couldn't get tickets. So yeah, but I'll invite him out in a suite. We'll, we'll watch the game and then I'll just give him the white paper. Say, what do you think of this? Yeah, I won't even give him a script. Just say, here's the white paper. Um, right. Take a look at that. Um, and, it, you know, there are some good documentaries out there. I'm sure everybody that's listening to this has seen them all um the one that was actually directed the one called the rise and rise of bitcoin um have you ever, ever seen that one it was like in 2014 no who's in that uh, one uh it's a it's a documentary um okay it, well, okay it actually was uh it was shot by a guy from pittsburgh that i worked on some of his movies so um i think that might have been one of the first things that took me down the rabbit hole as I saw like on Facebook him saying he was making this movie um so yeah he like follows his brother who was really into it in like mining bitcoin in like late 2011 um in his basement in Pittsburgh and uh and yeah now he's uh doing it 
I also think too, there's a chance not to like brag about Pittsburgh too much, but like there could be a renaissance here of like, there's a lot of leading that happens here. You know, Andrew Carnegie, um, you know, Titans of industry come through here and, and uh, you know, we are the steel capital of the world and, and uh, you know, so there's, and now it's, it's morphed from the steel industry to, you know, technology. Um, you know, there's a lot of Uber self-driving cars that are, you uh, going around and like using our difficult terrain, I think, to understand how to self-drive better. Um, you know, there's a like Google headquarters. We were in the running for Amazon um, headquarters and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it, it's a, it, I think I would love to see Pittsburgh kind of become Miami, you know, how Miami mm-hmm. said they're going to take everything on. Um, that being said, as much as I love Pittsburgh, it is like, snowing like a foot today and <laughs> Miami is really tempting um yeah you know I keep I keep kind of hinting at my wife like hey you know we could like move you know like we could we could be outside right now even though it's February we could actually go out there's places where people go outside um so you know what do you guys get a lot of snow in France. No, we, we've dodged it. We've dodged it. But uh, in the in the northern regions of France and uh, some other uh, European countries, and in the UK as well, um, it's been uh, it's been hit bad. But we're okay. You know, we got nice blue skies here today, which uh, mm-hmm. which is nice. I just yeah. wish we could go and um, you know hang out in a bar or a restaurant or or a cafe or something and just carry on with uh, with some normal life. Oh, that's sweet. They, um, they came out, the governor of Pennsylvania came out like the beginning of December and said that they were going to shut down no indoor dining or anything um, from like December 14th through like January 4th. So I was like, well, Merry Christmas to every, you know, business owner that relies on, you know, dining and all that kind of stuff. So we went out like every night for a week, like we went out to eat. And like, it was like, I, I, it was just, it was cool to see because I wasn't the only one that felt this way. You know, the average person is pretty generous, you know, and we, I mean, the restaurants were packed as much as they could be, um, you know, for that whole week, we saw people were, you know, spending to the brim, giving huge tips to the waiters and waitresses and, and everything like that. Um, Cause <laughs> what we're putting them through right now is just, unnecessarily done too you know because like i mean i could go on a rant about that but like i'm all for people keeping people safe but there's like no statistic behind shutting down restaurants and schools that really is of benefit you know what is of benefit in slowing the spread is not sending covid infected patients to nursing homes that that helps not uh, spread it fast. Um, so it's like, you know, they're all telling you like, shut down your restaurant, shut down your, you know, coffee shop. I mean, they just going to ruin everybody's lives. It's mad. It, it's completely mad. And, and here we are. It's like, no, seemingly no end in sight. Um, Week 48 just... of two weeks to slow the spread. <laughs> It's, it, and I, it just leaves me speechless every time. And I, I don't know 
when it ends, how it ends, whether it ends um, because the, the people start demanding it or the people just keep bending to all of these more nonsensical, illogical measures. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and people are going to start doing that just because they're tired of this. It's just, it's just like, let's just grind everybody down until they agree just to do what we say if we dangle the carrot of letting them back out into the pubs and the bars and the clubs and the restaurants and letting them have leisure time back. Yeah. yeah. Let's dangle that carrot. I mean, get like the, they've closed mountains. <laughs> How can you do that? Like, you know, who has the authority to close mountains? At least there's, I saw a video the other day of, um, a bunch of uh, people in France, they're using the, the snow plows to pull people up the mountains so they can carry on skiing because all the, the lifts are closed. Um, oh, I'm sure that's... that I'm sure they get fined. Um, oh because, yeah. You know, not, not supposed to be doing that, but you close beaches. How do you close the ocean? Yeah. Like, come on. They didn't... And, and that what kills me about it too, is that the media has successfully framed, framed it to the point where um, people that are like, pro lockdown and everything now think that the reason we're still in lockdown is because people that are anti-lockdown are being irresponsible, you know, so they've successfully pitted ourselves against each other. Um, and, uh, and like, you know, I think that they're the, I think the media is the scum of the earth um, and politicians are like right next to that. Um, I can't decide if they're on top or below that. Um, you know, and it's just, they're, they're using it for their personal gain. It's, it's blood money for the media. Um, you know, they're, but yeah, just, you know, you have the average person now thinks that the reason we're still in lockdown is because people were being careless. Um, don't get me wrong. There are situations where people were being too careless. Um, I mean, it's a real virus, like it, it exists, um, you know, it can make people sick, but you can't, like, I was of the theory, um, I had a friend that put me on to COVID in like January. Um, and I started watching it, like, you know, obviously last January, not this one. <laughs> um, and I'm, I started watching it like, uh, you know, this isn't good. This isn't good. Um, and so I was all for like, they should lock down, not let anybody into the United States. And it won't come here. Um, and then like, so I, it was like, I was a crazy person. And I remember being in a target and I was wearing a mask and no one else was wearing it. I had an N95 mask that don't worry. I didn't take it from the shelves. Anybody and take it from somebody that needed it. I had it left over from whenever I was doing some work in the garage. Um, and I was wearing the N95 mask in a target and nobody else was wearing a mask. And they were all looking at me like, look at this weirdo, you know? And I said to a couple of people, I said, just give it a couple of weeks. You'll be doing this too. Um, and then like a month from then, it's like everybody was like in sheer panic. And I was like, okay, well, it's here now. I don't think there's any stopping it. Like the, your chance to stop it was to not let it in. But, you know, and you've kind of seen, like I, I was saying this actually with, um, with John Vallis, so you've seen statistically, it doesn't matter what you do lockdown wise, if you're loose or if you're strict, the virus, it's a virus. How do we think we can control that? 
like we're so arrogant to think that we can control that you know and um there's like there's measures you can take but you have to live your life you know the quality of life for people has gone down significantly um you know and and what i hate too i mean the masks are important as far as limiting the spread and, and to me i wear the mask if it wasn't so much for myself i do it to make other people feel comfortable like i'm just kind of being i understand the people are manipulated they maybe they're too afraid of it um so I just want to be like courteous to them. I'm not doing it for any government official that tells me to do it. I'm doing it for, for my you know fellow uh, citizen and neighbor. Um, but uh, but yeah, they the first time my son had to put on his mask, like it almost made me cry. Like it like dehumanized him, you know. And it was just like, oh, what are we, what are we doing, you know? And and now he's he's five years old and he's just like thinks that you always wear a mask. You know, it's like, this is life. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, in school, he has to, fortunately, I haven't closed down, but, um, you know, pri I mean, that's the advantage of going to private school um, over public school is that there's a little more leeway, but they, um, you know, he's still, they're taking precautions. He has to, you know, wear his mask at all times and they have X's on the floor that they sit on and, you know, they have to sit in their specific spot what are we teaching our kids? And, and so I told my, it's shocking, son, isn't it? it? Yeah. It's like, we're teaching them to be afraid of everything. So I told, I, I took it upon myself. I told my son, I said, I said, I just want you to know that there's nothing to be afraid of and you, sh you shouldn't be afraid. I said, you know, the reason we wear masks is because there are people that can get sick that, and it's not us. Like we could get sick. Yes. But anybody can get sick from anything. So, but there are people that can affect really poorly. And then there's also people that are really scared of it. Like, so wearing a mask helps them feel better. So, but I want you to know that, you know, mommy and daddy aren't, aren't scared and, and you shouldn't be scared. You know, we're just doing it to be nice to other people. Um, Cause I was like, I'll be damned if we come out of this and my son's afraid of everything, you know, just mm -hmm. sounds like your kids aren't going to be afraid of anything whenever it <laughs> i hope not uh i uh, yeah i i definitely hope not um yeah we we have the three at home uh that they they work on uh the self-directed education platform galileo uh so they're always talking with kids all day long on zoom calls and um you know the, the only time they get exposed to the masks is when well, Lauren, for example, she'll go to dance class once or twice a week. Um, but she doesn't, I mean, she wears it to walk in and walk out, but mm -hmm. not when she's exercising. I'm like, there's no way in the world you're exercising with a mask on. Some kids do. Some yeah. parents have their kids exercising with a mask on. And you're like, guys, come on. This is not, this is not funny. a good idea. My dad just told me he went to the doctor um, and, you know, they had like a oxygen level tester for his finger um and i think it was one of the screening processes and it's like usually it's supposed to be at 95 or something and the lady said oh your your number is really low and he was like what and she said take your mask off real quick and his number was at 90 and he took his mask off and like instantly it jumped to 95 <laughs> it's like hmm. oh 
like great my father in his 60s who like both my parents are you know we're being very cautious with them because they both are like they've battled cancer recently and are doing well but they're still susceptible you know and it's like so they're in that risk group but i'm also like i don't think my 60 year year old father should be deprived of oxygen like i think him getting the optimal amount of oxygen is probably a good thing um you know it's just you know what are we doing to ourselves and you know the 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 fud of covid is crazy that's the that's the crazy yeah the fud of bitcoin is something to behold but the fud of covid has just been uh, just as strong uh, if not stronger and it's impossible impossible to fight it because it comes so hard and fast um and we do a great job on bitcoin twitter with fighting mainstream media um you know we can fight back pretty effectively now whether it's with memes that are just funny AF, yeah or with, um or with really excellent well-written articles or with brilliant uh, podcast guests that can come on and, and shoot down and unpick like Andy Edstrom the other day, he came on and just unpicked some environmental FUD and mm-hmm. uh, had JP Barrick on as well. We, we did a 20 minute FUD busting episode on the environment one. Cause that just seems to be like the, the FUD du jour. It's like that that's what they're pushing. Mm-hmm. All of these environment bitcoins bad for the environment is just coming hard, and you'll see more come out as as this bull really does start to run and set in. It happens time and time again. Uh, for now, their favorite point is the environment. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what fud do we move on to next. But that's yeah. such an easy button for them to push because they've been greenwashing everybody for the last ten years. It's mm-hmm. like, right, Bitcoin bad for the environment. Click, click, click. Watch these clicks. And, uh, you know, people read headlines. Right? If you're scrolling, we know this. If you're yep. scrolling through your Twitter feed, if you're scrolling, you're scrolling, right? You've got 10 minutes. That's why you're scrolling. If you see Breedlove's just dropped a new piece, it's going to take you 45 minutes to read. You're not reading it at that point, right? Mm-hmm. But you are still interested in that and you probably will come back to it. People who are just scrolling, they're just looking for the headlines. Bam. Bitcoin bad for the environment. Okay, that's in. Got that. Thank you very much. What else is bad? Then that's their opinion for me. It's that quick. It's Mm -hmm. that effective. It's a it it takes hold. And you know, it's funny too. People were like like, oh, Bitcoin's bad for the environment. And it's like, look at some of the pro-Bitcoin people are like the most environmentally thoughtful, you know, like like Jeff Booth, you know, reading his book, you know where i'm like man like jeff is like he's he's on it with with the environment you know he's not missing a beat there and it makes me not feel guilty about bitcoin ruining the earth um right because if jeff is on board then then i should be on board and also too i think it leads to like you know bitcoin leads to innovation you know like in the film industry it's going to lead to innovation where we have you know less wasteful spending you know, but I mean, the film mm-hmm. industry is not necessarily important to humanity. So it's like, what's it going to do for, you know, it's going to create problem solvers. That's what I love about this place. It, this space is that it's full of problem solvers. You know, um, there's a guy who 
I've been tweeting. I, I saw him uh, tweet under somebody's comments. And so I DM'd him. Um, and he, he mined and he does it completely green. You know, he was like, oh, hmm. yeah, I use, he's a, he uses a solar. Um, and he mines, he doesn't, it doesn't mine straight into Bitcoin. He does like a mining pool and everything. But, um, but I'm, I'm going to dip my toe into that. Just to, he, he said he has like 10 rigs or something. And I was like, right. maybe I'll start with one rig. Like how much would I need? What would I need solar power wise to, to run that? But I think that that, you know, it's like that with, it breeds innovation, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to mine based off of plugging into the wall right now because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense it, fiscally. It, you know, it's a lot of money that goes into it. But then whenever I saw this ability to do it in a green way, it's like, yeah, this is the future. Like it, before you know it, Bitcoin's whole network is going to run independent of anyone and it'll it'll probably be 100 renewable energy you know way before the, all the bitcoin are mined you know like by the time we get to 2140 you know people won't even really mine on their own it'll just be a system that's running everywhere and it'll be running off of renewable resources it's funny i i, I was talking to a guy recently that um was telling me he you know during the winter months here it gets very very cold so he'd plug his miner in during the winter months to keep the place warm. Oh, and yeah. he's like, well, if I'm, if I'm spending money on electricity or here, you can, st- a lot of people still have uh, wood stove burners, um, but you have to pay like 60 euros per square meter of wood. And by the time, you know, you're spending 800, a thousand euros on wood anyway, yeah. you're going to spend amount of electricity uh, anyway. He's like, so I plug in the rig. We all stay warm. <laughs> That's genius. That's it. The, and even this guy, he said he um, he said that he lives in I think he lives in Scotland, and he said he was like I with the solar here, which obviously I don't get a ton of sun. Um, he said I get enough to r- run ten rigs, and um, it took like a year to recoup his investment. Um, and he said he doesn't even have to pay for electricity or heat. He heats his house based off of the solar. And I was like. You know, and, and I'm not, I wasn't like anti-green initiatives, but I wasn't someone that ever really thought much about that stuff. And then I get into Bitcoin and and here I am, you know, like I'm experiencing the, I'm going down the rabbit hole of, of green energy and, and solar energy. Yeah. It's um, it's it's such an interesting space. I lost you for a second on Zoom, but uh, I think I think we're back. I think we're okay. back. Okay. Okay. So uh, all all is good. But um, mate, we should um, we should think about wrapping it up because yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think we're about an hour and a half. Uh, it's oh, been uh, yeah. This <laughs> is goes... what happens. When... <laughs> yeah, I could talk to people that don't care about Bitcoin about Bitcoin for an hour and a half. So talking to somebody that likes it it goes by pretty quick yeah <laughs> is there before we before we sign out is there anything else that um you wanted to shield where, where should people come and start learning about the the film and the podcast um yeah i would say uh i mean my my uh pseudonym twitter twitter account is chip wagon blaster um but you don't have to follow that one um, the, the podcast is called Bitcoin made simple. Um, 
and the the Twitter handle is called uh, Bitcoin Simply. Um, so yeah, if you just look up at Bitcoin Simply, uh, that is where the podcast is uh, being broadcast. I'm, I have a massive amount of 26 followers. Super proud of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm pushing. Um, hopefully we get to 50 followers before we get to uh, 50k. Um, I'm kidding because I really don't care. Other than just just use it for the 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 podcast. Um, and then uh, yeah, I start. I grabbed the the Twitter handle. Um, what did I call it? I haven't even activated it really. Like doesn't have a picture or anything. But for the documentary, it is uh, at Satoshi Search. Um, that's where you can, uh, yeah, at Satoshi search is the documentary. Um, but yeah, at Bitcoin simply for the podcast. Um, and yeah, I, I hope to, you know, be making the rounds and, and my goal is to kind of be like (laughs) the average person that got into Bitcoin. Like I'm not an MIT in finance or engineering or anything like that. Um, and I'm like complete opposite of that, but I've gotten so far down that rabbit hole that, that hopefully I can help the average person understand it. Um, and uh, yeah, that if they could, uh, if you want to follow me there, uh, be happy to share my useless rants and, and insights. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey, it's been, uh, it's been a great episode. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Corey at Chip Wagon Blaster on Twitter for coming on and sharing that story with us and giving us an insight into the project that you are trying to put together. Well, two projects wanting to give back in a big way. Podcast, I've already been on as a guest. I know you've had John Vallis on, and I know you've got plenty of other guests lined up, including Jeff Booth. That's amazing that you're pushing that. But doing the documentary at the same time, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that shapes up. And you know I'm on side and you know I'll help out in any way that I can. So stay bang in touch. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, I think it's great that so many people like yourself are coming out of the shadows to use their skills and their day-to-day job to 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 add something to apply that to to the bitcoin space and to help others learn it's uh, it's what we're here for it's how we're going to spread this message it's how we're going to cross the chasm it's how we're going to get to mass adoption it's how we get to hyper bitcoinization use whatever term you like we all need to be in the same boat and rowing or sailing in the right direction so thanks again and if you are another twitter lurker sitting out there wondering how do i add value to this space i'm always open for ideas if you need any help with anything give me a shout or whoever else you listen to a shout we're all here to help you will find so many people are willing to give you insights and to to help you start your own project and get you on your journey to educating others as well so before we sign out i want to give a quick thank you to the show sponsors and an unofficial shill, as always, for PlayShamory. That's at PlayShamory. And if you use the code BITTEN10 on checkout, you will get a 10% discount. But more importantly, always look out in the show notes or on the Twitter thread for a free code. So when you put a 
a game in your basket at checkout. If you use the code that you find, you will get a free game shipped to you by Scott. And this is a, a brilliant project, great family fun game, and a good way to start teaching people and learning yourself maybe about Bitcoin. So make sure you check that out. Now, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten, longest standing supporters of the show. Thank you so much, Obi at Obi, for your support. Really appreciate that. In the UK, that's where you head to start stacking sats or buying just straight up whatever amount you want. It's a Bitcoin only exchange. In the US, you have swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten to start your dollar cost average journey. That means you can buy Bitcoin daily or weekly or monthly or even smash buy and keep a very close eye on Swan because they might be flying across Europe and other parts of the world soon. So make sure you go to swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. And the latest sponsor, very proud to announce that Julian Linegar, who I have had on the show, you can go and find that episode and listen to the service that Relay provide. That is R-E-L-A-I dot C-H based in Switzerland. So it's Relay dot C-H forward slash Bitten. That will take you to a landing page telling you about the services that Relay provide. And if you use the code Bitten, that will save you commission fees. It's a Euro cost or a Swiss franc cost average. So let's just go with FCA, Fiat cost average service. It's an app you download, it's very low KYC, very easy to use, and you just start stacking. You set up your bank account and they pull that amount weekly, however you wanna set it up from your bank account and you start stacking sats into your wallet on the Relay app. Very humbling. Thank you all three of these companies for showing faith and trust in my work. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, retweeting, replying, DMing, whatever it is that you do. Um, I can't believe that we have people from around the world tuning in and listening to the show. So it's, it's a, a, a true thanks and a heartfelt thank you to the community for helping me along my journey and everybody that's come before chip today on on this show a uh, huge thank you for for helping me create something that i'm passionate about and to help educate others about too so until the next episode guys take care keep stacking and i look forward to catching you again soon take care and bye bye